The Start On Demand. On demand. We had two really difficult conversations today with a pair of local business owners who are on the brink due to the restrictions in Manitoba. Jeremy Regan owns Hunter and Gun, a barbershop on Broadway. He's doing yard calls this weekend, backyard haircuts, because he says, and I quote, I have run out of money. Chris Graves is the owner of King's Head Pub and was desperately hoping patios would be allowed to reopen this weekend. He now says he might just have to shut his doors. And the patio news was especially tough because the loosened restrictions announced Wednesday allow for private gatherings outdoors, but no patios. Also, the vaccine lottery. We had so much to discuss this morning, including what's the coolest thing you ever won? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, June 10th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, yesterday was a lot of information from the province. We had the vaccine lottery newser, which was a bit of a surprise for for many of us. And then the vaccine newser at 12.30, which left me some questions as somebody who has two doses of the AstraZeneca. And then uh, the loosened restrictions. So (laughs) sort of loosened. Greg, where do you want to start? I'm not sure where to start. Why don't we start with uh, the last conversation first and the loosened restrictions and the reaction to those changes. And I I think you'd be um, more than fair if you said that really what what has changed, well, for a lot of people, it's, oh boy, I can actually have my relatives over into my backyard. And then on the other hand, I know you have lots of operators of restaurants saying, um, hold on here. You're going to allow people to get together in their backyards, but you're not going to allow them to come onto my patio. I know, I know that's a source of frustration for a lot of business operators. And I think it's a source of frustration for a lot of people from the outside in, because I personally believe people are more apt to behave and follow the rules if they feel as though they're on stage a little bit, Loren, and we already know people are stretching whatever restrictions and ignoring them to a certain extent already. This is just going to, I think, give people permission to, you know, five, ah, that's six, it's seven, you know, what's the difference between five and seven? And of course you can use the washroom. You you know, you know how this is going to go down. Yeah, I have to admit I was surprised by that one. I, of course, was listening to that one the most closely because it's what impacts all of us, right? Whether you're a business owner or just like a human being looking to hang out with your friends because you've been lonely or your kids are asking when they can play with somebody again. Like, that's the one that had the most impact to all of us. And so I was very surprised only because they laid the case out right off the start. Look, we're, case counts are coming down hospitalizations are coming down, but our ICUs are still, you know, in a very serious situation. We lost a teenager yesterday to COVID, which had many people really just hearing that, just the the age of a person who had suffered from COVID. And so our condolences were with that family. And you're thinking of that. And then they, they say, go ahead and gather outdoors kind of anywhere with these numbers and these rules of household plus five, but that five can be made up of two other households. Well, nobody's policing that either, right? And so, and, and that wouldn't happen necessarily on a patio, but on a patio, people have to go home. 
eventually. And so they're not already at someone's home or pushing the limits in and around that home. And so I was surprised by that. I can appreciate why restaurant owners were super frustrated. And um, I think we're going to have a, a lot of great conversations today, Brett, not just with restaurant owners, but at 745, we're going to talk to a, a hairstylist who's saying, okay, fine. So I can hang it out at your house. I'll cut your hair there. That's great. I think that's great. Uh, that's, you know, an ingenious move really to, to find a way to get back to work, so to speak, because so many people are just frustrated waiting this out. Uh, Dr. Rusin saying yesterday, like he didn't want part of the reason that they didn't want to reopen patios or is that they didn't want to give the signal that this is an official reopening. He called it a, a release valve. Uh, but I know that that's not going to make restaurant operators feel any better. That's not going to make barbers and hairstylists feel any better. And uh, I <laughs> I love how the, the news conference ended yesterday with Global Skylar Peters bringing it home with a question I was curious about. I'll leave you with a softball, I guess, before a bunch of angry golfers uh, start talking to your fine communications folks. I'm assuming the outdoor gathering limit um, reverses the household-only requirement for uh, recreational places like golf courses or, say, tennis courts. That's correct. Uh, so group sizes of five outdoors uh, with no requirement that those are from your own household. So because I was getting text messages from all my friends through that whole thing. What about golf? What about golf? So at least that provides some uh, relief for people like me who haven't been able to see anybody really for the last couple of weeks. Like I mentioned, uh, Greg, the other day it was my dad's birthday and I did go. I did drop by. I got him a cake. I dropped by, but I, I just sort of handed it to him over the fence and stood outside his, his yard for a few minutes. So uh, at least I can now see some friends in mm. public. Uh, so that brings me some solace. I've well, gotten hopefully to your the dad point. saved you some cake because you can go over there and you can get some now, <laughs> oh, yeah. at least in the backyard. So uh, Smash Gordon, if you're listening this morning, hopefully there's some cake left over for Brett. <laughs> and, you know, joking aside, this is just, uh, just highlights, uh, Loren, just how far we are into this, how frustrated we are. And I know most people want to do the most, the right thing. So many people are doing all the right things. Don't even dream of crossing the line, but there are people from the get go here who the line has been non-existent to them. Yeah. And, it, and, and that will circle back to the conversation we're going to have in our next segment too, in terms of just what are you listening to and what rules are you following and what are you buying into? And so we've got the buy-in on the restrictions that we need to talk about. And then uh, just after 6.15, the buy-in on the vaccine. I mean, we're now offering cash as a possibility to people that get the vaccine. You might win some money. And I personally, I, you know, they got to do what they can. I'm, I, I'm trying so hard not to be negative about this one, but I can't believe we're here. You know, I still believe the best message is the science and educating people, not, if you're on the fence, how about money? But hey, this is where we're at. Let us know what you think. 780-6868. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, getting a COVID-19 shot could also give a boost to your bank account. The province has announced a major lottery that it hopes will encourage more Manitobans to get vaccinated. Now, all Manitobans 12 and up who get at least one shot by August 2nd will be entered into the first draw with prizes close to a million dollars in cash and scholarships. Those with two shots by September 6th will be eligible for a second draw. Three $100,000 tax-free cash prizes will be given out in Winnipeg and one $100,000 prize in each of the other four health regions are up for grabs, Loren. 
So there's the cash there. And then, of course, there's 10 $25,000 scholarships for youth aged 12 to 17 across the province. And then any Manitoban who got their shot out of Manitoba, because we know there are people who might have traveled to North Dakota, perhaps, if you were a trucker, um, other things might have happened along the way. You might have been down south. You, I don't, actually, that's a good question. I don't know if they can qualify. I'm going to guess this goes to the truckers. Any Manitoban who got their shot out of province can also enter by contacting their local public health office. Premier Brian Pallister says the extra motivation is important. It took 50 years before we eradicated polio. We can't wait 50 years to eradicate COVID. We've got to get at it. We've got to get at uh, getting COVID out. We've got to get uh, at it by vaccination. And we need to focus on that. While the province hopes this cash incentive will get more people to roll up their sleeves, some say it might only work for a specific group and could have some drawbacks. Here's Global's Joe Scarpelli with more. A new lottery in town has Manitobans dreaming big. Probably put a down payment on a house. Save it for a trip or something. But unlike most lotteries, this one requires a vaccine to play. I think it's a great idea. I think money always encourages people. It's a really strange idea. I'm trying to wrap my head around it still. It's too bad that they have to offer an incentive. Manitoba's new lottery to inspire more people to get a COVID-19 vaccine is offering nearly $2 million in cash and scholarships. One professor at the University of Manitoba says it might encourage people who want a vaccine to get one faster. This might be the kind of incentive that's needed to say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this because I have a deadline. But for people who are truly vaccine hesitant. For them, it may not necessarily have any kind of impact, and it does run the risk of potentially creating greater distrust in the vaccine. Premier Brian Pallister says cash prizes are just one part of the overall strategy to get needles into arms. We have an advertising campaign that's underway, you're aware of. Uh, We have literature available. We've been promoting the availability of additional information. The Premier says he's not a fan of gambling himself, but looks at the draw this way. If you're not getting a vaccine, then you're gambling with getting COVID. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. I know yesterday we were joking, you know, wondering what, what are they going to, what are they going to give away with liquor and lotteries being involved? Are they going to give up booze? And Loren, you you echoed Joe Ilo's joke, shots for shots program. I was sort of taken aback by this, but for me, I I'm okay with this. I the fact that, but I'm, I'm okay with it because it includes all Manitobans. I was scared that the incentives were going to be anybody who is yet to receive a dose is getting this incentive but now we're eligible for this lottery too so Lorena, i'm okay with it yeah it's just that we're not the people like don't get me wrong if i they draw my name and i have a hundred thousand dollars coming my way am i taking that yeah but i we're not the people that weren't getting it we're, we you've already been double dosed i'm lined up next week greg you were making appointments your boys have had their first like we're not the people that need to be influenced and i I heard that clip from the U of M professor and they're saying sometimes it can have the opposite effect. And I've been reading that from the people on social media who are already vaccine hesitant or really against it. Well, now you're like you, you, they feel like they're being bribed and I'm not siding with them. I think they need to when you have the right information and, and you feel educated, I'm hoping you'll make the right choice. What I feel is the right choice. But I don't know if the ones that are already feeling that way are going to be influenced by this. It might it might tick them off more, for lack of a better term, Greg. It's worked in Ohio. You just have to take a look at the vaccination rate in that state when they launched their lottery. And it's only one of uh, half a dozen or more states that have implemented the lottery 
in order to encourage people. Um, people can say what they want. The statistics uh, suggest that it works. Question of the day at cjob.com for credit aid helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca called 204-987-6890. What do you think about Manitobans being entered into a lottery for getting the vaccine? You can vote either I like it, whatever it takes, or I don't like it, won't help. And guess what? It's a 50-50 split at cjob.com. And we've just put that question up on Twitter as well at 680CJOB. question today what's the coolest thing you've ever won or maybe the closest you ever came to winning something 204-780-6868 for a chance to win manitoba turkey producers prize pack which includes a frozen manitoba raised grade a whole turkey reusable insulated grocery bag a digital meat thermometer barbecue scraper a basting brush a jar gripper and some flyers and recipe booklets go let's go around the horn here we got cam poitras jeff braun Jeff Fortier. Ron, we lost you yesterday. We were having some technology oh. issues, so let's start with you, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, the only thing I can even remember winning is a hatchet at a social as a door prize. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. And that, a hatchet. that was about 20 years ago, and I never used it until last year was the first time I used it uh, cutting some firewood. You kept it all this time? You're not going to throw yeah, it a hatchet. Put it on like, you the, the shelf with my tools. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you throw it a perfectly good hatchet? The thing I do remember about that night is it was a it was a wedding social, but it was also on Halloween, so it was also like a dress-up Halloween social, although I did not dress up. But I remember walking home when the social was over at 1 in the morning. I'm just walking down the street holding a hatchet in my hand. And... <laughs> The police drove by, and I saw them coming. I was like, ugh, I'm going to have to explain this hatchet to them, I guess. And then they just rolled by and didn't stop. And then I thought, it was like, well, why would you not want to talk to a guy walking down the street holding a hatchet at one in the morning? But I don't know. Because I guess they Halloween. must have figured it was part of a Halloween costume. Yeah, so I don't know. That, that's, so I, I've got the hatchet. That's, that's my big prize. <laughs> that is gold. Poitras, what about you? Uh, I, I, only thing I can ever remember, too, is also at a social was uh, I won a Manitoba Moose jersey one time. Nice. And I couldn't believe it because I'd never won anything. And, uh, it, you know, the one thing that I always have, have great contempt for is the person at a social that wins everything. Oh, yeah. And they mm. usually spend huge yes. amounts of money. You never know how much they spend. But it, it's it, it's like nothing upsets me more than watching some jerk win three <laughs> times. And then the big smile on their faces, they're walking up and they, oh, I'm, I'm winning again. And I just like, you. <laughs> how much money did you spend? You put 200 bucks in there, didn't you? Well, if they put the money in, then they increase their odds. Well, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, still don't like it. No one <laughs> likes to see something like that. Uh, Forte, what about you? In high school, the milk company or whatever had this contest going on that if you opened up your milk and it mooed at you, that you win. And I was sitting out, out in the hallway one time. I opened up my milk and sure enough, it mooed at me. And I was like, ah, I won. And so <laughs> apparently you had to like mail in something and all oh, this jazz, and I wasn't going to do that because all I won was a copy of Journey to the Center of the Earth, you know, starring <laughs> Brendan Fraser. <laughs> and I was I was more excited that I got this mooing milk, so I kept the milk thing, and I threw it away like two years ago. 
<laughs> did it move only the one time or could you make it move? Oh, it would move every time you opened it. That's why I kept it. And then last time I opened it, it was like. Did it, <laughs> did it have milk in it? No, it had it had like a like a water bag at the bottom of it with a sound box on top of the water bag. But, uh, so you were shafted out of your milk. Yeah, I was. I sure was. Where's my damn milk? <laughs> You rode 250 milliliters of white or chocolate milk, uh, Jeff Forche? I think it was chocolate, actually. Attaboy. I'm to fix that. I'm to get white milk in high school. Come on. Loren McNabb. This is the saddest group of winners I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm only going to add to it. I can't remember winning anything except for in grade three, there was a reading contest at the library in Minnedosa, and you had to read a certain number of books and then enter your name into a draw. And, of course, the more you books you read, the more your name went into the draw. And so I won tickets to the water slides in Brandon, where I think there was like four or five water slides. I don't think it even exists anymore. And I remember thinking that that feeling of like, oh, this is what it's like to win something. This is amazing. And I have never felt it again. <laughs> like not with one <laughs> social draw. Not there's no hatchet in my life. There's been no prizes won, no lottery. I don't even know if I've ever won a plate again. Like on anything. Like nothing. This group is sad. Well, Greg, save us. I, I well here. I got something. I oh, good. I won a trip twenty years ago. I won a trip from Power ninety seven. Actually, I was, wasn't working in the building yet. I won a trip from Power ninety seven to see WrestleMania X seven right. in Houston. 16th row on the floor at the Astrodome. Uh, we had to go to Bullwinkles and do this contest. It was actually being hosted at the time by BJ and Hal. And uh, my buddy Burkus, uh, who I believe is probably listening right now, helped me win the contest. So the two of us, he's a huge wrestling fan. I was a big wrestling fan. And uh, getting to see WrestleMania was one of the probably the greatest trips of my life. Uh, and, and it's still apparently regarded as the best one yet. So that's a, that was a big deal for me. Uh, Greg, what about you? Well, I guess the biggest win was the reason why you are all stuck with me every morning is uh, Talk Idol about 12 years ago. (laughs) Brett McGarry was the first one that called me from CJOB to say that I had qualified to even be in the contest. But the most frustrating and and happy call I got on a winning front had to do with somebody else's big win. I'm a Jet season ticket holder and I can't go to all the games and so my father-in-law was helping me sell off a couple of games. Oh, this has got to be eight years ago now. And uh, a friend of his said, oh, he'd like to go to this Colorado Avalanche game on this Tuesday night. Yeah, no problem sell- selling the tickets. He texts me right after the game and he says, I hope you're still my friend. I won the 50-50 tonight. Uh-oh. Oh. $31,000. Now, of course, the 50-50 isn't tied to your seat or anything like that. He had to buy the tickets. I bought 50-50 tickets maybe half the time, but um, I was quite happy to know that he won that amount of money uh, going to a game that he doesn't go to very many games, so uh, bravo to him, but it felt like a little bit of money might have slipped through my hands that night. <laughs> 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about the coolest thing you ever won or maybe the closest you ever came to winning for a chance to win that prize pack for Manitoba Turkey Producers. And we will give that away just after 915 Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on The Start. I mentioned a couple of days ago, I think, that uh, and, I, and acknowledged publicly to our managers, hey, sorry that we haven't 
booked our vacations yet. Uh, part of the reason I hadn't is because, you know, what am I going to do as someone who lives alone under the current restrictions that are in place right now? Let's say I had this week off, for example, I'd be sitting at home alone for nine days. I'd go out of my mind. But normally, in a normal circumstance, I there's one week of the summer that I need uh, for my annual golfing tournament, the Laker Classic. And then I just take, you know, sort of scraps based on your schedules because you guys have families and you want to travel. And this year in particular, Loren, I know that there is now some hope on the horizon because that's one of the things that they're going to lift for those who are fully vaccinated. So you get your, your second doses of the 18th. So two weeks after that, you're good to go, right? That, that's how I understand it. And that works for both, in theory, the interprovincial stuff. So anything I would like to do in Canada, understanding that other provinces might have their only own travel rules too. So you'd have to check in to see where Ontario or Alberta or BC or everyone else is at. And then, of course, uh, internationally, they're talking about lifting the, the talk was yesterday that they're going to lift the quarantine, the mandatory quarantine when you come back for international travel if you're double dosed. And so, you know, I had said that jokingly yesterday that my family had ignored my emails on possible travel plans, but I finally heard back from someone, uh, some of them. And uh, yeah, like for me, this is what I've been waiting a year and almost a year and a half for, right? The possibility of seeing my family. I, my grandmother's in Manitoba. She's in Minnedosa, but I haven't hugged her in more than a year. So once that double dose, two weeks pass, man, get ready, grandma. There's gonna be a lot of hugging. And then I'm hopefully we'll be able to get out of here. But the, the challenge is, even when I was going to book my own second dose, and I, this was before I knew about the travel possibilities, I'd gone to book it Monday because it had opened up for May 1st and my last shot was April 30th. Well, it took forever, like a, a good hour of searching to find anything that was better than July 4th or July 8th, depending on where I was looking. And so then that puts you to more to the end of July, potentially, for anything you'd like to do to see somebody. And I'm in one of those early positions, Greg, where I jumped on the AstraZeneca train in in April and so maybe you might be ahead of some others for people who have kids it just opened up to 12 plus not long ago so you're still waiting you know in a queue to see where you fall into place uh, for, for for kids and so there's a lot of people who yeah it's great that this might be part of the changes coming up and it's the, the reopening we've all been waiting for and for for many but it might not happen soon enough because it's taking a while to get those doses those second doses in arms that's right. And we got an email overnight from a loyal listener, uh, Jennifer, who pointed out her, she has 11 year old daughter and a 13 year old son. Her son got his first dose of the vaccine yesterday. So yes, in terms of the protocols for the, the Pfizer vaccine, 28 days is the desired interval in terms of getting that second shot, but there's no guarantee that we'll be in a position provincially to offer that second dose 28 days out so her question to us was you know I'm in an awkward position here by the time my son gets his second dose waits that second week summer could be mostly over and we're in a similar situation Jackie and I have our appointments for July 9th to get our second doses our boys have the first but we have no idea when they can get their second dose and so that that's uh, putting going to put families in a very interesting, if not awkward, position of craving to travel, being allowed to as long as A, B, and C are covered, and then perhaps running out of time on that front based on the timing of the vaccinations. And of course, the qualification, Brett, want to make sure 
uh, if it wasn't already said that if your children are 12 or under, as long as your parents are double vaccinated and the people they're traveling with are double vaccinated and have that two week uh, period, that waiting period from their second dose, then then they are exempt from those rules. So it's uh, it's a, once again, you can't please all the people all the time, but that's just one of the things that uh, people are are contemplating this morning uh, based on the announcement and, and timing, as they say in life, is everything. Here's what you say to the, the boys, Greg. You say, sorry, boys, you're going to stay at Brett's place and sleep on his balcony because Jackie and I are taking a trip. Get lost. <laughs> is this an offer? Because I'm, 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 my offer. kids are in the car. <laughs> We're on our way. Are you there? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? But, you can come stay here. Oh, I do like dogs. Okay, I think we have some negotiation to do. <laughs> but see, like, and that this is—I'm glad you guys brought this up because I never thought of that. You know, I was so excited for you, Loren, that you'd get to go. But for those with kids who are 12 or older and they want to travel, this is a tough position. So yet another example where, like, we're hoping that things reopen soon and we at mm-hmm. least get some uh part of summer for me i have no travel plans but for those who do want to travel especially to visit family uh this is indeed going to be difficult and then the question are you going to do it by road or by plane and, and we've had that talk in our own family because i also you know sometimes it comes down to how much time you have which or the cost of things of course and then i have family that lives outside the country and in some respects i didn't think this would happen it sounds crazy to say after 16 months of this that suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, this is all happening really quickly. And I don't mean that in the sense of the, the reopening is happening quickly because that's it's not. But all of a sudden this week we're hit with all these possibilities that we've been craving. But then how do you manage all that? And are you ready? Like, are people legitimately ready to get on a plane? Do you have any reservations about that? Now you can potentially do that. You can do the trips you've been saving for, waiting for. So many people had trips canceled you know, at the start of this? And, and are you still able to redo that trip and get your money's worth out of that? And are you ready for it? Because that's another part of it. It's going to be, I feel like it'll be really bizarre to travel, say, across the country or get on a plane for the first time without thinking, oh boy, like this is all so very different now. Well, coming up in a moment on the subject of trips, we got to tell you uh, about somebody who won something. They won a trip that was going to be amazing, but it turned out to be uh, a little less than. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are asking you at 204-780-6868, what's the coolest thing you have ever won? And we've got two texts that came in back-to-back involving trips to Mexico that didn't quite go as planned. So, Greg, why don't you start us off with Laura, and then, uh, Loren, if you can see uh, Eva's text. But, uh, Laura, what's Laura's story, Greg? Yeah, not quite tainted love, but maybe a tainted win here. A few years back, my husband won a trip to Mexico. Yeah. We were so excited to go. And the day before we were to leave on the trip, he went ice fishing before the season closed, and he came home with a broken ankle. Ugh. I cannot tell you how impressed I was. Not. <laughs> Needless to say, we went. I pushed him around in a wheelchair and hung out at the kiddie pool for seven days. Oh, a bittersweet you know experience. You still got the swim up bar. As long as you have that baby, that thing makes it's like magic. <laughs> Just so great. Maybe not in the kiddie's pool, though. Okay, so Eva texted. 
1997, I won a trip to Cabo. Had to take the trip by the end of June. Weeks before that, I fell and broke my wrist. So I went on the trip with a cast on my left arm. A lot of broken bones attached to these free trips to Mexico. No That's kidding. Interesting. Yeah. If I ever win a trip to Mexico, I'm just going to like wrap myself in one of those uh, bubble balls, you know, <laughs> you see them r- rolling around on a football field or whatever, because I, w- I would be terrified. And I always, almost, almost every year, right before the Laker Classic, I almost hurt myself in like some ridiculously stupid way. Like I got oh. my finger uh, sort of stuck between the whatever the spokes on a grocery cart and uh, it bent really awkwardly almost and I almost broke my finger but I was able to stop that before it happened or I almost slammed my hand in a door at our, our old station back when we were on Portage Avenue we had like these the doors for the studio were really heavy uh, so I would be that guy who wins a well, trip and then breaks something Greg well we were getting ready to go to Las Vegas a couple of marches ago and uh, loading my luggage into my father and mother-in-law's SUV, I banged my head on the tailgate. So I went to Las Vegas with a concussion. Oh, man. Which meant uh, very little libation for me. Lots of rest, though, which was great. But <laughs> You know uh, what happens? It's like... modify the beverage intake. I was just going to say that this, these injuries, it's sort of like when you go on vacation. Have you ever had one where you're sick by day three? Like you're, you sort of let your guard down just before that trip comes, right? You start to relax. You're anticipating the time off with your friends, maybe Brett or Greg, like finally getting on a plane or even just taking the time off. And you hurting yourself to me is an example of like you're just getting excited. You let your, you let your guard down because I have often say day two or three on a vacation suddenly you're down with the cold or the flu because your body's like, oh, now you're relaxing? Here you go. <laughs> well, Here yeah, you go. We, we, we used to work with somebody who every time they took a trip, come back sick. And uh, yeah, so vacation, sometimes good, maybe sometimes not worth it. Small town salute. They were once used... Like highways, the Red and Assiniboine Rivers were where people gathered, how people traveled, and how goods were moved. Yeah, and today our two main rivers have some recreational use, rowing, kayaking, maybe some fishing, but the amount of traffic in and around them is not, Lorraine, what it used to be. Perhaps an understatement, Greg, and I know you've talked about this for years. The head of the Forks and different city councillors have talked about this for years. The idea that we've kind of turned our backs on our rivers, which are were once hubs for many communities. And in a town just south of Winnipeg, they're working to change that, to turn the river back into a destination. And the idea is pretty simple, a boat launch. And I thought this, and if you're one of those in the audience thinking, okay, well, surely towns along the Red River have lots of places to get your boat or canoe or kayak or access to the water, you would be wrong. Our next guest says, from the U.S. border to Winnipeg, there is actually no safe public boat access point to the red. At least there wasn't until now. Joel Guignon is the vice president of the St. Agath Community Development Corporation and our guest today. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. Well, let's start there. That's true. There, Up until now, there's been no public boat launch. Surely there's other places to get your boat on the river if you maybe had private property, but, but no public space in that great distance? That's absolutely correct. So uh, we saw this need um, over three years ago. And happy to see finally uh, for this project to see the light of day that uh, we're uh, we're finally open and running up and running as of last week. 
Now, congratulations on this, Joel, because, uh, you know, Loren mentioned it. Uh, our relationship with the Rivers, I think, is not as strong as it ought to be and what it could be. What do you see as the benefit, the potential benefit for your community in, in investing in a facility like this? Well, you're, you're absolutely bang on there. Uh, we, we have a world-class fish waterway right in our backyard for all sorts of things from fishing to water sports to even winter activities, uh, you know, getting onto the red uh, uh, via snowmobile and all sorts of uh, different activities from that standpoint. Having a safe access point for school children to get onto the river for all sorts of activities from snowshoeing to uh, uh, to uh, cross-country skiing as well is, uh, is super important. So, we see this project as, uh, as definitely a jewel for the uh, for the region, and uh, hoping that it's going to create uh, all sorts of spin-off uh, economic opportunities for uh, local businesses and regional businesses as well. What's the response been like? It has been tremendous. Um, we've had all sorts of uh, inquiries. Uh, when is this going to open? When is this going to open? And finally, uh, um, again, we would have liked to have done a big splash, but there's this little pandemic that's been going on that mm-hmm. uh, has kind of uh, put a a halt to that, but uh, rest, be rest assured that once uh, once the restrictions do ease off, uh, we're going to have a big splash, uh, pardon the pun, uh, to uh, open the uh, the actual boat launch uh, and then uh, keep working on our second phase of the project, which is actually having a uh, floating dock uh, where people will be able to moor their boat for a, a period of time to, you know, go up into the community, see what there is to do, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the river. You never have to apologize for puns with me, Joel. I would ask you next why you didn't live stream this launch. Get it? Stream uh, River? No? Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave undone. the puns. I won't be undone, I see. <laughs> but I do have to ask, you know, in some ways, I'm just so surprised. I said to you yesterday, I live south of Winnipeg, too, and it wasn't until we got here where I thought, wow, there really is no way to get on this river if you have a canoe or kayak or boat, and there's not as much fishing as you think you'd see alongside it. And, and again, in the winter, the skating, and I know there's safety aspects at play that we have to be mindful of. I'm curious, was it is flooding also part of the equation in terms of what stopped people from looking at the river the way they used to? Because Santa Gath, of course, was heavily hit two decades ago with the, the flood of the century. And so I'm wondering how that played into the equation with people saying, well, we don't want to spend money on something that might year after year be impacted by floods. There is no doubt uh, this has been a feat of engineering. Um, we've had uh, two or three uh, goes at uh, making sure that this uh, was designed properly to withstand the fluctuating water levels. And Lauren, as you mentioned, uh, we've got a conflicted history with the red, uh, being uh, survivors of the flood here in 97. And then from a positive standpoint, as you mentioned uh, from the kickoff, uh, the, the red has been a historical uh, access point from the U.S. Uh, to the Forks as a historical trade corridor. So why not celebrate those, uh, those types of historical aspects as well? And we're going to have some interpretation signage at the um, at the uh, site as well, uh, explaining uh, those, those types of historical aspects as well. I like the way you put that, Joel, a conflicted relationship, because sometimes the river is the enemy. And I think maybe that has played a role in our interpretation or our relationship and how we feel we should feel about the river, uh, because so often we're watching those water levels and, and the Red River is the damn Red River sometimes. And it, it's our enemy uh, for certain amounts of weeks, uh, certain years in, in history. But absolutely. And as they say, keep your enemies closer. Right. So why not uh, embrace the, the Red, work with its challenges and uh, take the positives out of it? 
So I guess, are there any sort of uh, restrictions on what kind of boats can be launched from there? I know nothing about boats, so. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> great question. Great question. Uh, no, really, there is no restriction. I would say uh, if, uh, if a person has a uh, 30-foot uh, cruiser boat uh, that needs, uh, you know, five or eight feet of water to, I would say more so eight feet of water to launch, uh, that might be a little bit problematic. But any sort of fishing vessel and obviously canoe, kayaking, no, no issues there. Uh, but uh, for the most part, any sort of uh, vessel that's, uh, um, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 feet long and even some uh, longer type of um, pontoon boats, uh, no issues uh, for, for that as well. Um, so uh, please uh, come down and, and take a look and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you'll find. And Joel, sorry, before we let you go, where in town can we find it? We're coming down Highway 75. We turn left into your community. And where's the launch? Right. So actually, you'll be turning east into the community. Uh, so okay. the uh, the river is actually located on the east side of uh, Highway 75 from uh, or from 75, rather. And it's right in the center of town. Uh, can't miss it. Uh, we're just working on some uh, uh, some signage on Highway 75 as well to acknowledge that there's a boat launch in the community. And there'll be um, uh, signage uh, within the community once you enter as well, uh, indicating where the launch is. But basically right in the center of town um, and uh, straight across from a uh, co-op gas station. Uh, you won't miss it. Joel Gagnon, Vice President, St. Agathe Community Development Corporation. Thank you very much for joining us this morning to tell us about this. Much appreciated. No problem. Thanks for your interest. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, many of us are stretching our emotional and psychological limits as strict restrictions remain in place to combat this third wave of COVID-19 in Manitoba. Yeah, it almost goes without saying at this point that there are so many things we're missing. Friends, family, relatives, uh, just doing things normally, feeling like, feeling like you can go for a walk or golf or whatever it is that gets you out with people that aren't in your home. And there aren't just things that we're missing. For thousands of workers and businesses, Greg, um, there's a big hole, and, and that's cash. That's money. Plain and simply correct. And our next guest has seen his business shut down or operating under strict restrictions for seven of the past 14 months. He is currently unable to serve any customers. Jeremy Regan is owner of Hunter & Gun Barbershop on Broadway. Thanks for joining us this morning, Jeremy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, appreciate you, and I appreciate uh, your Twitter feed. You and I follow one another on Twitter, and at least two of my good friends come to your shop to have their hair cut normally. You've been very open with how difficult these past several months have been for you. How would you summarize these uh, past several months, your emotions connected to these restrictions? Oh, man, that's uh, that's a loaded question. There's, there's a, a ton of different emotion going on. This last little bit um, for this lockdown, which is supposed to be a short circuit breaker, is now looking like it's going to turn into six, seven, maybe eight weeks. And I would say that this, this lockdown right now has been really, really hard on people financially. I mean, the first two were for sure. Um, but this one especially because it's it's sort of getting killed by a thousand knife cuts here. So... You know, when we were when we were asked or to, to, to close and then and then they said the date that we could open, um, you know, you get excited for it, you get excited for it. And then three days before you find out, well, it's not happening again. And the muddled messages you're getting from the province and public health don't help either. So, 
Now, with the, the very slight easing of restrictions, Jeremy, you've decided to take your show on the road. What are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm just, I put it out on Twitter. Um, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that most of my tweets are actually very farcical and I'm trying to be funny. Um, but this one in particular, I put out, I was just going to, through DM, um, accept people to go to their homes and cut their hair in their backyard once the, uh, restrictions eased, um, more of an act of desperation, um, from a guy who's sort of just run out of money. You know, like my mortgage needs to be paid this Friday. My car payment has to be paid on Friday. And I have two kids, a wife, a mother-in-law who live, who lives with us. And they all rely on, on a business to get fed and have a life of, uh, you know, somewhat quality. So a couple questions here. First, on the positive side, I think the response from what I can tell, Jeremy, has been pretty positive. What have your customers been saying to the idea that you're going to come to their yard and cut their hair? I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. I thought there would be a lot of backlash actually, just because of the, you know, I'm, I'm not a COVID denier. I, I realize that there's people um, who have been affected a heck of a lot more than I've ever been affected by it with um, the passing of loved ones and being in ICUs and in hospitals. Um, you know, I certainly haven't had felt that. Um, but the response, generally speaking, has been absolutely overwhelming. I, I can't really even keep up. I'm probably... I mean, conservatively, I would say I'm close to a thousand people who have reached out to me, um, either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just calling me directly. Um, I, I can't even re- reply to everyone. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. So then the response has been positive, but you know there's going to be people that then say on the other side, Jeremy, man, are you not stretching the boundaries or going against, you know, Dr. Rusin said we expect people to abide by the spirit of these orders, and this might not be doing that. What would you say to that? Um, I would ask Dr. Rusin to give me my mortgage payment for Friday. Um, anyone who hasn't, who has been able to work has been making the decisions for all the people who haven't worked. And, you know, we've had a barbershop that for the seven months we were open had a zero transmission rate. We had two cases of COVID through the shop. It did not transmit from the shop or to the people working at, at the shop. We sanitized, we brought in a mask mandate before we, um, before they, they, we were calling for a mask mandate before they even brought in a mask mandate. We made people wear masks. We were wearing masks all the time. We sanitized everything. We have about 20, 25 feet between our chairs. So, I mean, easy to say, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not denying the fact that, you know, the province was unprepared for this, but it feels like small business. And I know you had um, Chris on from the King's Head will say the same thing. I have friends who own patios. You can sit outside at your yard. You can't sit on a patio with one other person. You know, those people would have appreciated a little bit of a hand up as opposed to, you know, whatever the handouts are, which are zero at this point. So, you know, it, it, I don't know what I would say to him. I'm, I'm, I'm just frustrated. Um, you know, it feels like we're paying the price for the province now in the third week, not being prepared. And, you know, I'm not willing to pay that price anymore. Like I said, I have run out of money. There's no, you know, I'm not trying to hide from that. We'll be fine. I can go into lines of credit. I can call my mortgage and or bank and put my mortgage off. But the sacrifice that, that businesses like mine have made where, you know, we ask for what is the transmission rate at barbershops? What is the transmission rate at restaurants? We don't get any answers. We don't even get a call back. So, you know, is, are they hiding something? Is there no data on it? You know, 
my anecdotal evidence is there's been zero transmission at my barber shop. You know, first we were told schools didn't transmit. Then we found out schools transmitted. Then we, they said manufacturing didn't transmit. Then we found out manufacturing did transmit, you know? So I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's just frustrating. My head's in a million different places right now. So, well, Jerry, fun, you know, a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, a little confusing to you guys. Not, not at all, Jeremy. Not at all. This has been great. We very much appreciate the time that you took to talk to us this morning, and we wish you well on uh, on your adventure this weekend. It sounds like you got your hands full. Yeah, thanks so much. And you know what you guys do to allow us to have a bit of a voice is really, really, really important. Twitter is one thing; it does give you a voice, but to bring it out sort of a mass amount of people, it it, it really does help us. And it gives me and my colleagues a place to vent. So we appreciate it as well. Jeremy Regan, owner of Hunter and Gun Barbershop on Broadway. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We start this hour with the fact that small outdoor gatherings are allowed again on public and private property. But Greg, still no dice for restaurant patios. Yeah, and lots of conversations to have around this, but let's jump right into it. Several restaurateurs have been outspoken through the last 16 months. One of them is Chris Graves, the owner of King's Head Pub. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, everyone. How are you? We're doing okay, and uh, you know, I'm sure you heard what Jeremy had to say, and, and I know how you feel about this, and uh, I thought it was important that Jeremy uh, emphasized, you know, I'm not an anti-COVID or a COVID denier, anti-vaxxer, that sort of thing, and I think it's always important to, to outline those things. What was your reaction to the news from Dr. Rusin yesterday? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, thanks to Jeremy. You can feel the pain and angst in his voice, right? It's it's a tough one for small business owners. And, you know, I always, I, I, we always try to stay on the positive side of this, right? We, we try to look at, at maybe there's a silver lining coming. Uh, we assume that uh, those who have been vaccinated, uh, we're going to be rewarded. And uh, with just the way that the government preaches how important it is to be vaccinated, we're like, oh, man, we're going to finally see the reward. And uh, I, I, I sit in there and, and just watching it, uh, deflation again, which is essentially is becoming too much of the theme. Uh, you know, it, it. I will say this, I mean, personally, uh, in within my family, uh, I have seen the suffer uh, of the mental health side of it. So to be able to know that uh, my daughter is now able to go see a friend uh, in a backyard is also very important to me because I, I've seen I've seen it real uh, on that end. So that's great. But now the suffering is going to be me sitting inside of my pub. And it's been hard already. And I have a green space directly across from me, about 40 feet. And I'm going to be able to watch all, all week next week and for the next couple weeks, a chip truck sit there and sell food and use that green space like it's his patio. Well, I sit there with an empty patio. It just makes absolute zero sense. And, I mean, our, our, our sanitization is strict. I mean, we're... We're cleaning down tables after every use. Uh, those things are not happening in these public spaces. So uh, it's, it's painful, very painful. 
not happening in those public spaces, Chris, and, and potentially not happening in the backyards of homes where people are now allowed as of Saturday, starting Saturday, to have up to five over. And so Dr. Rusin was asked this yesterday, and he said, you know, look, this is not we're not signaling a reopening. This is a release valve for people who are frustrated. So does does that make sense to you at all? They're talking about a reopening plan coming. But in the meantime, you're being asked to hold on for two more weeks. Yeah, and then again, what we said before, this is our third lockdown. And every time they say to us, it's three weeks, we've seen this story before. And we know it's not going to be three weeks. We know it's going to be more. And again, it's just what Jeremy was saying before. You know what? Show us some more financial relief. Like, oh, I had to pay all of my business taxes last year. I had to pay all of my property taxes last year. Like, I'm talking 100%. Uh, my, my insurance has gone up exponentially. So it's not like my fixed costs and my bills don't stop. And when they come out and they continue to keep locking us down without any more financial relief or any discussions on the financial side, that's why it also makes harder. It makes it much harder and the the just like a little bit of a valve being released makes zero sense because there is nothing different than my patio being any different than an outside space. And let's really break it down number wise, right? You can essentially have probably 10 people in your backyard now when at the pub, you know, we're like a max. They were a max of about five people at a table. So. The numbers don't make sense in that in that way. And again, we've never seen a bit of statistics in terms of any type of transmissions. We actually have not even had one even close call or a case. I've never had one COVID scare at all in the King's Head pub. And that's because we've done the right thing through the entire time and we continue to be penalized for it. And now everybody out there that's been vaccinated and is getting vaccinated is continuing to be penalized for it, especially businesses. Chris, how much longer can you keep going with your doors shut for uh, patio and in-house dining? Well, I have a meeting today, actually, Brett, with uh, some of the staff, and it looks like uh, we may have to close our doors on Saturday. And that breaks my heart because through this entire time, uh, we haven't quit and we have not given up. I, I've done everything in my power to keep my staff going. And, uh, yeah. Do you mean like like close for good? We're going to have to close for the foreseeable future because I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where we are at this point. Um, it's been a real rough go. Um I've always said this, like, that the King's Head will survive. We will make sure it, we survive. But right now, I need, to, I need to take a little bit of time and uh, figure out, um, re- we need to realign a few things. I'll just put it to you that way. So that's kind of where, where it is right now. Chris Graves, the owner of the King's Head Pub, thank you very much for joining us uh, to talk about this. I know this is not an easy thing. Uh, for you guys, uh, so thanks. Just for all, thanks for everything. You, like I've been there every week uh, since February, and uh, you've been. You guys have sort of become part of my family. So uh, I appreciate Probably everything same. you guys do. Same in return, and uh, you know we're going to continue to fight. We'll we'll continue to fight for my staff and for uh, the community of of Winnipeg and Manitoba. So uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And again, just like Jeremy said, thank you for giving us this platform. Chris Graves, the owner of the King's Head Pub, joining us live on 680 CJOB.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We had two difficult conversations over the last 45 minutes at 7.50. We spoke with Hunter and Gun, Jeremy Regan, the owner of Hunter and Gun Barbershop on Broadway. He's doing yard calls to try to make some money. Quote, I have run out of money. And then just after 8 o'clock, we spoke with Chris Graves from the King's Head Pub, who says... They may have to shut their doors on Saturday, at least for the foreseeable future, since patios will not be reopening, even though private gatherings, public gatherings uh, will be allowed as of Saturday. So those are tough conversations, and you can hear those. Greg's tweeted them out. I've tweeted them out. And uh, right now, though, we want to switch gears and lighten things up a little bit because we are asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us a story about the coolest thing you have ever won for a chance to win stuff. Manitoba Turkey Producers Prize Package. And Loren, uh, Wes has delivered a great story to us this morning. Yeah, and you can just kind of picture where he was at at the time because Wes texted to say, back in home in Canada, 13,000 kilometers away, Patio lanterns was all the rage. But here, as we roll down the left side of the highway in a camper van with a stick shift transmission, Cryery by Mr. Mister was all the rage. It all started with an early morning phone call from the legendary Ron Abel at KY58. And yes, I love that shout out to KY, Greg. When the phone jarred us awake, we were sleeping in, having returned in the wee hours of the morning from a weekend trip to visit family in Yorkton. I thought it was a friend from work playing a joke on me, Wes says, as we had all been madly dialing for weeks to qualify to win a 21-day trip for two to New Zealand. But I played along and told my wife, he says it's Ron Abel and we just won the CP Air trip to Auckland. Yeah, right, she said. Rolls over, goes back to sleep, hoping the kids weren't awakened by the phone ringing. Then, Wes says, moments later, the phone rings again with a family member saying she had just heard me on the radio. Well, now my (laughs) wife is awake and excited. Wow, what a trip of a lifetime to the other side of the world. So many great memories, traveling the North and South Islands in a camper van that was part of the prize celebrating the opening of direct flights on CP Air from Vancouver to Auckland. I've won lots of prizes in my lifetime, but this one still takes the cake. An amazing country, and just the two of us with no kids on board. Sweet, <laughs> Wes adds. Yeah, no kids, a free trip. I do wonder, Greg, I don't know, we both, I mean, I don't have too many stories of winning, but if you get that phone call, and especially if you got a phone call now, I feel like you would be thinking you were being scammed. You know, like the the foghorns that come from the cruise lines that tell you you've won a free cruise, and you're like, nah, hang up because you know it's not true. Yeah, you know, uh, how how often do you even answer the phone these days if it's from a phone number that you don't recognize? And then you're desperate when they don't leave a voicemail. It's like, well, who was that? So they're hoping that you'll call back and trick you into saying something that will indict you or so that they can steal your identity or something similar. (laughs) So, yeah, there's all sorts of trepidation with regard to the phone and answering the phone these days. So I'm always blown away, Brett, when we give away our prizes and we decide to phone people at, you know, 7.12, 7.13 in the morning and they answer their phone. I have no idea what comes up on the call display when we call them. Uh, but the fact that they're answering for the most part, I, I think is is great. But could you imagine that that was on the radio? Uh, yeah, that's somebody pretending to be Ron Abel. I, that's a fantastic story. And what an incredible Prize, holy, 
holy smokes, we need to uh, bother our promotions department. We need to show them that uh, that text message. You see what they were giving away back in the day? We need to get on that. Well, somebody else reminded us of a contest that happened in Winnipeg, and I believe it was our friends down the hall at Power 97. And this goes back decades now, but uh, it was just last week. Right, we were, our small town salute was Miami, Manitoba. We talked yeah. to Prairie Cricket Farms. Well, yeah. there was that contest. Oh, win a win yes. a trip to the Super Bowl in Miami. Mm-hmm. So they gave away several prizes, but they didn't tell the winners that the trip was a bus trip to Miami, Manitoba, <laughs> <laughs> to watch the Super Bowl at a bar. Oh. <laughs> Brett, I have la- to tell you. My family, my husband's family, sorry, Greg, my husband's family is in the Minneapolis, Notre Dame, Bruxelles region of Manitoba. And so whenever we've gone out to visit them there in years past, we have to go through Miami. And every time we start laughing because we think about that contest, because you're, nope, like Miami's a cute little town. But could you imagine being told you're going to Miami or you think you're going to Miami, Florida, and you're on the bus and you're like, here we go. Woo. And then it stops like an hour away. <laughs> in a small town and oh. yeah i think it was the late great scruff connors that ran that contest i think there was a little bit of pushback on that but it's absolutely brilliant it reminds me of the of the uh that wasn't a contest but it was like a social back in university i don't know if you ever did these brett loren but did you ever go on a drink the town dry no mm-hmm. i've heard okay, they're legendary so- absolutely legendary so you get on a gray goose bus or a similar at the time and the windows windows would be painted papered over so you couldn't see where you were going and you'd be going to this mystery small town in manitoba and the goal was to drink them dry to drink the bar out of certain types of alcohol and it was absolutely a blast uh you'd never get away with running one of those now uh, but I don't remember ever going to Miami, Manitoba. We could have gone there, but I don't remember if we ever went to Miami because of uh, the nature of uh, those visits to rural Manitoba. But a legendary contest without question, Brett. Good memory there. And Tanya weighing in as well. She says the best thing I won was a trip to Mexico from CJOB, September 30th, 2019. You remember That's that? Right. It was El Cid Castilla. It was perfect, you she know, says. Do it again. El Cid Castilla. It was I perfect. I get chills when you say that. <laughs> Tanya says it was perfect, and I was so excited since all of Sunwing's blackout dates aligned with my time off as a teacher. Having this trip in the fall of 2020 when I would be on maternity leave was just perfect. My daughter turned three months in March, and I would be able to get her first vaccines done just before we left. And then COVID hit. We had to cancel our trip just before we are about to leave. We have an extension as to when we can use the prize, but the blackout dates and my job remain. We remain optimistic that we will persuade Sunwing to make an exception. Well, my husband remains optimistic. <laughs> but Tanya says, hey, at least it's a great story. It is a good story. That's hard. And I would like to hear from people about what trips they have canceled in the last year and then whether or not they've been able to get either the money back or the credit going, you know, because we are, we were saying at seven o'clock, we're back in that window now that if you're fortunate enough to be able to travel because you A, had the second dose and maybe the means to do so, you know, lots of trips got canceled. How are they getting back on track? And are they like, I'd like to have faith in these big companies that they're going to get people back into the seats that they paid for, but that doesn't always happen, Greg. So Mm -hmm. let us know, 780-6868. Like if you spent money on something, has it been a fight to, to get that back? 
I know some people have had a fight. I had two flights that were booked and canceled because of uh, our experience with COVID and the shutdowns. One was with Swoop Airlines. I eventually got the cash back on that because uh, my flight just kept getting perpetually uh, canceled and they finally acknowledged that uh, they weren't going to be able to adhere to the terms of our agreement at, at, at any future point. So I got my money back, but uh, for a similar trip, had a credit with WestJet and we're planning slash hoping to get to San Diego for a wedding on November 12th. We've booked our flights for that on WestJet. And so it was kind of nice to have a, hmm. a juicy credit sitting there. So that was applied against our our pardon me, our four airfares. And um, I understand there's some pretty good deals out there if you can capitalize mm-hmm. and you're able to take advantage. So yeah, maybe some light, uh, some more light at the end of the tunnel. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, reminder that in our next segment, we're giving away that Manitoba Turkey Producers prize back based on the stuff, the cool stuff that you have won. Tell us a story, 204-780-6868. In the meantime, right now, we want to continue something we started earlier this morning. During our small town salute, we went to St. Agathe to learn about a new boat launch on the Red River. It is the only boat launch on the Red River, if you can believe it or not. And Lorraine, when you shared this information with us yesterday, I thought, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. The only boat launch on the red between Winnipeg and the U.S. border. Yeah, the only, they they call it the only safe public boat launch. So sure, there might be private properties that might have their own. I know if you have a property along the red, you might have put out a dock there. You can, you know, you can try if you want to, I suppose, to find an access point. And sometimes people do. But to think that this is the first public well-constructed piece of infrastructure to get on the river in that huge stretch of area is uh, pretty crazy. So I was fascinated with that because, man, like the Red River, the Assiniboine River, they're integral parts of our history, but also our community. And so no matter where you are from or whether it's the city of Winnipeg or in the southern Red River Valley or rivers north of the city, it sometimes feels like the Red, Greg, is sort of the economic and recreational engine that has yet to reach its potential or at least get back to what it was all those centuries ago. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't know if part of that hesitancy to completely embrace the river, and I think Joel touched on this, I think he admitted that it comes from floods which have us viewing the river as an enemy so often. So let's find out if there's something else to it as well. Aaron Pollock is an architect at Number 10 Architectural Group here in Winnipeg. And you might remember Aaron's name because he co-spearheaded something called On the Docks. It was a design competition which looked to compel and compile design ideas for redeveloping Alexander Docks in downtown Winnipeg. Good morning, Aaron. Morning. It's great to visit with you again. I've heard it said that all you need to know about how Winnipeg has historically viewed the Red River is look how its grandest buildings were designed, essentially with their backs to the river. How do you view our relationship with the Red? I'd say it's probably a complicated uh, relationship, to be honest. Uh, It's funny because we often try and celebrate our rivers. I mean, every time you have a visitor or family come to Winnipeg, what do you do as one of the first things? You take them to the forks. So there's this uh, inherent activity that we always celebrate is going to the riverfront. It's something that we're proud of, um, but at the same time, we shy away from it all the time in terms of its fluctuations in the river levels. Yeah, we talked about that, you know, in terms of 
flooding might be one reason why people sort of have the love-hate relationship with it. There's there's all sorts of other reasons in terms of how we view it in terms of its cleanliness or what have you. And and questions have been raised in the past about, okay, well, how do we look at it differently? And the competition that you were a part of, it looked at ways to not only redevelop Alexander Docks, but give us another opportunity to interact with the red. Where, where did that end up? Are we in the midst of seeing that competition design to fruition? Right. So the competition ran in 2018. And uh, following that, we had a lot of great conversations with the city. I think right now it's uh, still a bit more in consultation, seeing whether or not that site uh, is something that could develop in the future um, or if it's uh, somewhere else along the river. I think it's, it's really opened up a conversation about how we appreciate the rivers and access to it for the downtown. Which places do it right? Like, what city could Winnipeg borrow some ideas from? I mean, uh, there's quite a few cities that benefit from the use of their rivers. Uh, I, uh, the obvious one I'm thinking is, like, Copenhagen. The activity there, uh, not only through cycling, but through river access, they have any anywhere from river trails um, to um, ferries and things like that. Other great examples... Uh, Calgary recently with their waterfront or uh, river development, that's been well received in terms of uh, how many people utilize it as an active transportation trail. So I think there's different things that Winnipeg can really pull on from different cities. Aaron, what would you like to see? If if you were given sort of carte blanche and uh, budget wasn't an issue, what would you like to see? How do you see this potentially moving if we were uh, to take the gloves off and the shackles off, so to speak? Oh, honestly, it's really about getting that accessibility down to the waterfront. So with the uh, with the erosion or anything like that, making sure that there's a clear path for people to come down to the water, interact with the water levels. I'd love to see something like a floating... Um, a floating amphitheater or a floating system where you could easily get into the river on a kayak or a canoe, um, something that creates smaller ecosystems or uh, water eddies, you know, something that just really engages the public with the water that really breaks down that hesitancy to um, what the red and a sinboin might mean to us. Are we slowly seeing that shift at all? I mean, the the idea that, you know, if some condos have gone up along the Assiniboine, some new ones, we had the hotel that went up along the red near the, at the waterfront uh, years ago. And I'm just curious what the, what you hear from the business community about looking at it as well as an economic opportunity, not just for the idea that, yeah, we should get down there, we should get on our kayaks and canoes and use it recreationally, Aaron. But, you know, if I go to Chicago, for example, and you travel its rivers, there's no free space. And not that we necessarily want to take away the green space, but there's opportunity there. The rivers are jammed in, in other parts of the world. Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, Winnipeg has a little over 240 kilometers of waterfront and nearly half of that, which is publicly owned. So thinking about all those privately owned areas, uh, how businesses can really develop along that waterfront is important. The uh, Not only the views, but economically, like it's a it's a main feature for any of the building designs. It's a main feature for any accessibility. Um, it's really important to really uh, how we develop the urban qualities of our downtown. 
being on Lake Michigan, it would be easy for Chicago to sort of default to the beachfronts along uh, Lake Michigan. But that Chicago River, Loren, I think that's a great example of how they've uh, commercialized the river bank. Uh, they've taken a, a great deal of pride in, in making those rivers very walkable. They control the river level uh, dramatically there in Chicago. And when we were there last, I guess it's three summers ago already, uh, you've got bars, you've got restaurants now along that waterfront. And even on a Wednesday evening, a beautiful Wednesday evening, we were down there one night and people were taking full advantage of those riverfront uh eating and uh, libation uh, opportunities along the river. It was almost impossible to find a spot to sit down. Aaron Pollock, architect at Number 10 Architectural Group in Winnipeg. Thank you very much for joining us this morning to talk about our relationship with the rivers. We appreciate your insights, sir. Thanks for having me. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, what's the coolest thing you ever won? Loren, you got a text, actually, from one of our colleagues who's got yeah. a cool story. Camera guy Randall, uh, who likes to refer to himself as Wolf Shield, I believe is his nickname. Funny story, he says, when I was 11, my parents bought some raffle tickets and put my name on them. A month later, the draw happens and I win. A Texas Mickey of CC Rye. My parents said it was mine to open when I got married. <laughs> So 18 years later, we opened it at my parents' house at a pre-wedding dinner. Winning rye at age 11. Randall goes on to say he actually hates rye and didn't even drink it. So it was just all-around worst prize. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's great stuff. And dedication and holding on to that forever. Uh, Greg, Kathy's got a cool story. Yeah. Hi, Greg, Brett, and Loren. In January 1993, I and my friends, Patty and Roseanne, went on a cruise that was hosted by, among other Winnipeg Blue Bomber icons, the voice of the Bombers, Bob Irving. There was a sports bar on board, and one afternoon, they had a sports trivia contest. My friends and I signed up and hastily recruited Bob to be our team captain. Needless to say, we won, and we each received a football and a Blue Bomber pennant, but the real prize was this fantastic team photo with captain bob thanks for that kathy and uh, bob if you're listening this morning uh congratulations on the big win and i hate to do this on the air because deliberations continued right up until we came back so i don't know who our winner is so i'm just going to ask you guys live greg is it rick or is it wes oh wes wes gets my vote vote loren Rick or oh, Wes? I'm not going to help. I want to say Rick just because of the way he signed his text. So uh... Okay. Well, and my, then this is my vote is Rick as well. So we have declared on the air uh, Rick by a count of two to one is our winner today. Rick says in 2000, our local business community in Winkler ran a contest to increase business activity. It was promoted as win a trip to Florida. The idea was that as you made purchases of participating businesses, you would receive specially marked paper. You were then asked to fold that paper into a plane and compete to win this trip. After most competitors had been eliminated, the final contest had about 10 remaining pilots eager to launch their airplanes through a car tire about 10 feet away. I had practiced at home by forming a pool noodle into the size and shape of an actual tire and had my son hold it while I practiced for about an hour. 
This practice obviously helped as I was the only competitor to throw my plane completely through the tire. The prize was actually a $2,000 travel voucher. It awards a trip to Florida. Only about 5000 short of the actual <laughs> trip cost. We left our 10-month-old son with friends and took our 7- and 9-year-old boys to Disney World for a trip of a lifetime. The 10-month-old eventually turned 15, so we took him to Disneyland yeah. because he wouldn't let us forget that we had abandoned him all those years ago. Signed, cheers. Rick Pfizered Fair. So, Rick, yes. congratulations to you, sir. <laughs> and that, talk about dedication, spending an hour outside throwing paper airplanes yeah. through a pool noodle. <laughs> and uh, kudos oh, I to the it. youngest for throwing it in their face, probably yep. for 15 straight yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't Just be- like a crow holding <laughs> a grudge. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.